politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight to restore our liberties to the one and only CR podcast here in the house at Blaze for another new terrific week of broadcast, Monday, April 19th. And what a day April 19th is historically, if you think about it, that really has a lot of bearings on today. Minutemen, patriots, standing at the ready to guard our liberties. Not being sold out by leaders. Not waiting until it's too late, until we have come to a slow boil like frogs in the boiling pot of water when we didn't realize that it was too late. Well, a lot of people know about this being a very sad, dark day. April 19th, 1995 was the date of the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, And also people know, obviously, two years earlier in 93, it was the culmination of Waco where the federal government just burned a bunch of people, including uh, dozens of children alive, knew where they were, shot into their bunker, purposely killed kids. Um, Really, really dark day. And obviously, that's why Timothy McVeigh committed his atrocity in return for that atrocity. But what is often forgotten historically is two other very important events that took place on April 19th. One of them was the Warsaw Uprising in 1943, really the only large-scale rebellion of the Jews against the Nazis Um, Against all odds, they killed a lot of Nazis, barely had anything. It was during Passover. Um, Again, small amount of intrepid leaders who are willing to fight for freedom. And then, of course, in uh, the shot heard around the world, Lexington began that day. Actually, I think the Civil War also began. The first bloodshed was on April 19th. It's a pretty crazy day. But... 1775, it was about 5 a.m., 700 British troops were dispatched on a mission to capture Sam Adams and John Hancock and the Patriot leaders. They marched into Lexington. There were 77 Minutemen standing at the ready under Captain John Parker that refused to retreat. They refused to be the frogs in boiling water. At the first sign of trouble from the British, they fought back. They fought back. That was the lesson. It wasn't so bad living under the British. It really wasn't. But they knew that once they cede a little bit of power, they're done. They learned the lesson that we forgot. But anyway, they um, ordered the outnumbered patriots to disperse. Suddenly a shot was fired. No one really knows who did it. The shot heard around the world. And that was the Battle of Lexington Eight Americans sacrificed their lives. Ten others were wounded. Um, it was bad, but that really begun. It, it begun from there the the fight back, and obviously it went to Concord, where they repelled the British attack and chased them back to um, Boston, and led to the Boston siege, which of course eventually led to our liberation and the rest is history 
Will we learn the lessons? That's what we're going to explore today. Now, first off, folks, we have our sponsor today, Bonner Private Partnership. When you listen to this show, you get as ticked off as I do, and you need wine to calm you down. Um, they have the best wine grown at eight at 9,000 feet high in the vineyards of the Andes Mountains. That is conservativewine.com. They make world-class 90-point wine there. Um, they're actually coming under attack because the government there per- – fails to protect them from the leftist mobs. So literally, their vineyards got attacked. Um, people are snapping up these wines while they can before the Argentine government shut shuts down this beacon of freedom. Um, incredible taste, notes of blackberry, dark cherry, leather smoke, great for drinking, but also particularly good to a steak. Um, folks, I love wine on steak. I love a little bit of wine. I'm not that much of a heavy liquor drinker, but I like either a little bit of beer or wine at night to calm me down um, in these tumultuous times. Today, the guys at conservativewine.com got another special shipment in of these wines. So if you go to conservativewine.com, my audience will get 50% off all shipping plus 50% off on the price. Again, that's conservativewine.com for America's best-tasting selection of wines. Now, folks, what I mean when I talk about frogs in boiling water, so obviously there's the two famous stories, analogies um, with frogs. One is you you put a frog in uh, really hot water, it will jump out, but if you put it in uh, warm water and you gradually... um, increase the temperature, it won't realize it until it's too late. Likewise, kind of a similar analogy, a little bit different, but they both apply the frog and the scorpion. The scorpion's like, hey, um, I need a hop across the river, frog. Let me go on your shoulder. The frog's like, I'm not stupid. You're going to sting me. And the scorpion's like, well, we're, you know, why would I do that? Then I'll lose my ride. I'll drown too. We'll both drown. And finally convinces him to go across the river goes across the river, in the middle of the river, he stings him, and the frog in his dying breath says, why did you do that? He said, well, don't you know that's my nature? This is what I do. And those are the lessons we fail to heed. I often say the biggest lesson people fail to see about the American Revolution is that our, our forefathers were agitators. They started up with the British. Okay, it did, They didn't have to have war. They made it a lot worse than it was. Were they wrong? No, they were ultimately right. Because they understood, yes, it was tolerable. But as Jefferson noted in the Declaration, you to- you can only suffer these grievances while they're to- tolerable. That's what men are disposed to do until it's too late. You have to rebel when it's still tolerable. And here we are, like that frog in the boiling water. Like the frog that gets, you know, lets the scorpion in. We bought into that scorpion, that 15 days to flatten the curve. And we got sucked in and sucked in and sucked in. And then to the absurdity of, oh, well, let's wait till there's a vaccine. And we warned about this. We knew this would happen. Now they're like, sorry, bozo. Tough luck. You're going to be wearing a mask for the rest of your life. We're just doing it because this is what we do now. Shut up. No questions asked. This is what has happened. And the lesson is that if 
you or the people that are supposedly representing and leading your cause don't immediately stand up to tyranny and fight. That means they are tossing the fight. They are throwing the fight. They have no plans on doing it. There's no, oh, let's agree to it this half, this way. Let's indulge their premise. You say no right away, and you fight back with everything you have. And by, by the way, folks, this is at its core is what I'm trying to create with my Constitution Action Network, the Liberty Strike Force teams that we're starting to build in the states, to have a standing group of citizens in each state that are willing to fight with full force on the issues when they matter, when they matter, how they matter, not yesterday's battle, not these phony talking points. It's funny to watch all these phony conservatives like, hey, that's not right. We're vaccinated. Why do we have to wear a mask? Well, the same reason you had to wear it before you were vaccinated. It's just as logical, just as constitutional, a.k.a. unconstitutional. And you allowed it to go on. I mean, even to this day, how much do the big talkers on the right, pseudo-right, really militate and vague against the premise of COVID fascism? Not very strongly. It's funny what this era has brought about. A realignment. It's not really even right or left. It's people who recognize that the system, which includes both parties and the corporations and everyone in charge, is irremediably broken and corrupt versus those that either benefit from it or they say it's corrupt, but then they don't really mean it and don't really act accordingly. And this is why we're in a scenario, not to throw out too many names here, but where someone like a Naomi Wolf or even to a certain extent, to a certain extent, Bill Maher is more of a natural ally for us than, you know, some people we've called friends for many years, whether it's Ben Shapiro or Eric Erickson. These guys, they might kind of claim the system is, is broken, but they don't clearly don't really mean it. They're still trusting of the system of a system that is so transparently corrupt. So this is where we are today. Why do you think we had these Republican leaders in charge for years that it turns out they threw the fight? It was a fake opposition all along. You know, we always say here that Democrats are pushing things that a couple of years ago, the Democrat leaders of yesterday, yesteryear could never have imagined. So you think certainly the Republican leaders of yesteryear would jump out of that pot and be like, how do you do this? But instead you have John Boehner all over the media blasting conservatives, blasting us, calling us Neanderthals, basically. He was on the Sunday shows. He was saying that gun, gun legislation should be a top priority. You have all these shootings because of record crime in Ohio because of jailbreak. He's from Ohio. And rather than focusing on crime like Boehner did in the 90s when he was in Congress, he's now in support of even the one thing most Republicans still are conservative on, which is gun control. A couple years ago, he was the speaker 
And I got dragged through the mud when I tried to get rid of him and organize a rebellion twice. I organized it. I was a part of it, at least, to get him out as speaker. It turns out, every one of these, Bush, Bush always surfaces. You'd be like, what do you mean? Bush fought against the homosexual agenda, right? Like, he was more conservative than any Republican in state. Well, relatively for his time, he indulged our talking points. But really, it turns out all these people were frauds. So what does that tell you about today's crop of Republicans? They're all frauds. You may think, okay, fine, they're not going to fight the New Deal and the, the Great Society. That's already like they're too scared. But the, the current totalitarian new things the Democrats are pushing, like COVID fascism, no, they're fully bought into it, like we talked about in, on Friday with all these governors. There's more news on that. Fully bought into it. So this is why we need to throw them all out. We need to expose them all. We need to educate people on what's going on in these legislatures. Now, one way you can help me organize is by actually coming in person to our great get-togethers in partnership with constitutioncoach.com. The April 25th uh, trip is that's next Sunday. I'll, uh, I'll be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Really looking forward to seeing you guys. So that's obviously already booked. But the next one and really final iteration before the summer you know, because then it starts up again in the fall, is May 30th, so Memorial Day weekend. A lot of you have off. You know, you have off a couple days there, um, as well as the next week, January, uh, June 6th. 90% off front sight training in Nevada, out there in the beautiful desert. Freedom, no mask wearing. We get together. We study the Constitution with Rick Green, Rick Green of Patriot Academy at night. During the day, we spend all day on the range learning how to properly use a gun, how to properly draw and shoot, clear malfunctions, shoot to chest and head and time shots. There's a two-day and four-day courses. I recommend the four-day. Four days, just 150 bucks. Again, 90% off the typical training. Uh, you just pay for your expenses and the ammo. And folks, this is a, an incredible time. You meet me, uh, fellow patriots from the show, some other patriots there as well. Really looking forward to our next trip. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com to sign up for the best vacation mixed with intellectual and real ammo every day. Now, folks, you have a lot of news about, you know, everyone has access to a vaccine now. As of today, everyone, every adult has access to a vaccine. Again, we're not going to get into the fact that these things are crap, but in their mind, this was the big panacea. Half of U.S. adults, half of U.S. adults now have received at least one dose. Now, again, we are told by the healthcare cartel in their own fake studies that one dose is enough to pretty much ameliorate most of the severe symptoms, right? That's, that's what people forget. Half of the U.S. adults have had it, which means that the overwhelming majority of vulnerable people, it's over. And if it doesn't work, then everything you tried didn't work anyway, as we see the lowest cases ever in Mississippi and Texas since taking off the restrictions, while it continues to spread in the Northeast that have all the restrictions, every single thing they've said 
has been proven a lie. But as I warned, we're not going to have an Elijah on Mount Carmel moment of clarity. Because when you're a frog in the boiling water, you don't get clarity. You get accustomed to it. It's now the new normal. Nearly 130 million people, 50.4%, have gotten at least one vaccine shot. Now, it's hard to tell how many who have had natural infection. I think roughly the same amount have had natural infection, but obviously there's a lot of overlap. It's not 130 plus 130. Um, 32.5% are fully vaccinated. Okay? If you think that it could somehow end after this, without us just simply saying no, then you're brain dead. Or you're just totally, your senses were killed like the frog in the boiling water. It was never normal from day one. It was never normal from day 15. It was certainly not normal after we saw the virus came back several times, despite everything we did. So you know what? The fact that everyone who wants has a vaccine is not going to make a difference either. It's too late. We already let the other side win. If we give them the power, they will use the power. So therefore, the AP reports, I'm sure some of you have seen it, Oregon is announcing a permanent mass mandate. Top health officials considering indefinitely extending rules requiring masks and social distancing in all businesses in the state. Okay? They're using the word permanent. Permanent in Oregon. Um, Woods Agency, it's a health agency in uh, uh, Oregon. This guy, what's it, the dirtbag's name, name, Michael Wood. He received a number of public comments, mostly critical Nearly 60,000 residents signed the petition against the proposal. But folks, it's not enough. You got to say no. Is there a risk of overreach? Maybe at some point they'll turn up the flame too quickly? I don't know. (laughs) But the fact that it hasn't gotten people to jump out, and I get it, people are upset. But it's not commensurate to where it should be. Whenever it requires a 5, we're at a 3. When it requires a 10, we're at a 5. Because we don't have leadership. We don't have leadership. This is what it is. And you know what's so sad? What's so sad is we are at a point in this virus where not a single human being should die. Now, I mean, I guess maybe that's a strong term. Obviously, God means for certain people to die, and sometimes it is legitimately the end of their life. But, um, I mean, basically, no one should die young from this virus. We, are, we have had 14 months of solid research on vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, hydroxy, ivermectin, all that other stuff Dr. Cole talks about. Any person at the first sight of symptoms or a positive test should bomb away with this stuff. If you're vulnerable, you should really be taking prophylactics. 
the fact that our government and corporate media complex is censoring, blocking, and even prohibiting the use of this stuff and the prescription of this stuff is genocide. I was up late last night um, reading uh, the book Defeating COVID, over 500 studies showing what works and what doesn't by Dr. Colleen Huber. We're going to have her on. We're going to reschedule to have her on later this week. And I was thinking, like, let, let me know let me know your thoughts on this. I saw an article from a couple weeks ago, Dr. Michael Osterholm. This was one of Biden's epidemiologists. And he said in an interview with the New York Magazine, Michael Osterholm has spent the past year as afraid of getting COVID as anyone else. Quote, you know how many times I've woken up in the morning and said, I wonder if today's the day I could get infected. One of the world's top leading epidemiologists, he is reassured by the fact that he doesn't go anywhere. I'm the guy who has the same tank of gas in his car that he had three months ago. I miss my grandkids. My God, I miss my grandkids. Tell me, folks, I, I want to have an answer here. Is he lying or is that real? In other words, does he not know about the research on what actually works? Is he so blinded by his own slow cook and his own lies that he believes it? Do you know, essentially, not a single human being in the world has died of this virus that had a vitamin D level above 35. And I forget the levels they studied with vitamin C. And that's before you get into, even if you have lower levels and you are prone to get it, but you know the fact that you could take ivermectin and things like that prophylactically early on, if you're that scared, you're that scared that you're not going to see your grandkids. Mind you, they don't spread it to you if they're younger. I mean, I don't know how old his grandkids are. But if you're that scared that you're willing to destroy your life, why wouldn't you take, say, pro prophylactic? Like people take Tums every day and Tylenol and Advil and aspirin. We've had 14 months to warn people to boost their vitamin D levels. But this is where we are. They want people to fear this. Fear is the best way to inoculate yourself from the pain of tyranny. You don't fear because you're so feel it because you're so fearful. That's how deranged this is. My buddy Steve Days just put out on Twitter the latest survey from Franklin Templeton, Gallup um, Economics of Recovery Study. When they asked people what are the chances somebody with COVID must be hospitalized. Okay? So they gave people different tranches. Zero, one to five, six to ten, eleven to nineteen, right? On and on. So obviously the correct answer is between one and five percent. And and really, that is way overstated because there it, it it's one to five percent get it severely enough that they need to be hospitalized. But the truth be told. Most of those, it's only because government makes it that, no, 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 there's expensive stuff that could only be used in a hospital. They won't give people outpatient treatment. Really, it would be, it should be close to zero. 
if we followed the science. But do you know, this is no kidding, no kidding, among the, the, the largest cohort, meaning the, the, what had the largest plurality response from Democrats, Republicans, and independents, obviously the most among Democrats, but among everyone, was 50% and up, meaning 41% of Democrats, 28% of Republicans, 35% of Indies, thought that more than 50% of people who get COVID go to the hospital. (laughs) I mean, this is the power of what they can do. If you want to add anything from 20% up, massively overstating it, 20% up, you're going to rope in about 70% of Dems. You're going to rope in 60% of Indies. And even 51% of Republicans. Okay? Just 12% of Dems. 23% of Indies. And 30% of Republicans got it right or or lower, you know, or lowballed it. It's kind of like this study we talked about, the survey we talked about on Friday with crime, how almost everyone, including Republicans, overstate by a factor of at least 10, if not 100 to 1,000, the number of unarmed blacks killed by cops every year. This is the power of the lies, the censorship, the obfuscation, the corrupt nature of the media, corporate, government complex, and how they dull and numb our senses to the point that people are just retarded. But this is how they suck people in. This is totally normal now. This is totally normal. And again, barely any fight against it. Do you know now it's gotten to the point where Minneapolis public schools are going to distance learning this week because of, not COVID, because of the Derek Chauvin ruling. Okay? So this has become the new, you're never going to put that genie back in the bottle. You could just declare a danger, and school is shut. In anticipation of a verdict in the Chauvin trial, (coughs) Minneapolis Public Schools said in a letter to families that all grades will transition to distance learning on Wednesday through Friday. It's kind of like, and again, crime is similar to COVID. Rather than treating it with public education about how to boost themselves against the virus and and then education to doctors to treat this right away, I mean... They should have had guidance to every PCP in America. Hey, here's the letter you should put out to your patients. Here's the standard patient. Here's the patient that's at risk. Here's the prophylactic dosage. Make sure everyone gets tested for vitamin D levels and prescribe accordingly high dosage. Same thing here. Instead of deterring the freaking criminals, we bless and anticipate rioting and destroy our lives as a result of it. This is the country we now live in. 
By the way, one other interesting thing. If you look at the British Medical Journal, they have a study out that on UK total mortality, age standardized per 100,000 population, it was lower in 2020 than the rate in 2008 and then every year dating back to 1943. So obviously it spiked relative to the gains we've had in the last decade, but it's not like, you know, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, it's a little bit higher. It is higher. But you go back to 2008, it was higher. And that's with all the lies, with 80 to 90% of people who died, who legitimately died from it, is the fake deaths, 80 to 90% of legitimately died from it, shouldn't have died had our government not committed genocide and censored prophylactic treatment. But folks, it's this bad, and yet the Republican governors are all bought into it. So there's this new thing now where, and I'm sorry, I'm just sniffling here. I got a spring allergies or in full swing. Idaho Governor Brad Little is from AP. He says he'll veto two bills intended to curb his power. Basically, they have two bills they passed. Um trying to remember what they were um I, I don't remember the bill numbers but they should have enough votes to override his veto we'll see what happens they do need two-thirds there but one bill would um, require legislative approval to extend an emergency past 60 days and another bill would say that during those 60 days he can't um, prevent people from going to work, gathering religious services, or quarantine healthy people. A very important uh, order there. Okay? Now you'll see where I'm headed with here. So he gets out there and says, this is this is terrible. It's a, an emotional knee-jerk reaction. So, the, so rather than him being an emotional knee-jerk reaction to the virus, they're an emotional knee-jerk reaction to his tyranny. How dare they take away his power? This is dangerous. Mind you, they gave him 60 freaking days. 60 days. And it's not like it ends automatically. It's that, I mean, if you want more, after 60 days, if it's that compelling, you should be able to get legislative support. This is what we have for... And and he sat and And here's the important thing. He vetoed the bill, and he had four... All four living Republican governors, former governors, agreeing with him, signed a statement... Butch Otter, Phil Batt, and Dirk Kempthorne. They're all dirtbags. It shows you we've been sold out, every one of them. And guess who was standing next to him? U.S. Senator Jim Risch. I know probably most of you never heard of him. He's like a stealth fart in the Senate. This is what we have. 90% of elected Republicans from the reddest states, they agree with the left on the most insane, destructive, inhumane, immoral, illogical, and illegal propositions that they have. This is the Republican Party. Frogs in boiling water. Fake fight for so many years. What are we going to do about that? What are my colleagues who have bigger megaphones than I do going to do about that? That is the question of our time. 
Now, one of the ways that we're going to get out of this morass is to start suing. Not saying the courts are the end all. I'm certainly not a fan of them. But we've got to fight every which way we can. So it is good news that finally, this Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported, um, Cobb County, Georgia, a bunch of parents got together and are now asking the court to end the school district's face masking requirement. Um, attorneys for the parents filed an emergency complaint for injunctive relief in Cobb Superior Court on Friday. They filed it against the superintendent of the school. This needs to happen in every single district. Um, if this is con- pretext to do something this severe to the bodily integrity of children, then there quite literally is nothing that isn't. Again, with this many people vaccinated, this many people naturally infected, there is no way even if they were vectors of spread, you're going to have a catastrophic level of hospitalizations. To them, this is nothing. The harms that it does, I mean, this is unbelievable. Um... It goes after the contact tracing as well. I honestly have not read the complaint yet, but this is something that, you know, again, you should get a hold of it and get what you need to do in your school district is you need to find about five other people, share the cost. It shouldn't be too expensive then if you could divide it five ways and file a lawsuit. And just also politically, I mean, get as many parents that are like-minded to bang away. If you can't get that in a red district, then we're screwed anyway. So that's what that... By the way, I just wanted to say um, with the hospitalizations, I just forgot to mention, another thing people forget about this whole thing is that we've literally incentivized what we were supposed to avoid. The whole point was to avoid a run on hospitals, and the government built a an incentive to hospitalize people overzealously and create a scenario where you could only treat people with things that need to be treated in the hospital. That's part of part of this whole opposition to outpatient treatment is because they want people in the hospital. People forget that. They're making a killing off of this. If everyone would take ivermectin and the other stuff prophylactically, what would happen to the hospital reimbursements? So that's the story with that. By the way, interesting story. This is from a couple weeks ago from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the Amish community. They achieved herd immunity. Okay? Experts at a New Holland Borough Healthcare Center said around 90% of the households dealt with at least one coronavirus case after churches reopened last year. They said those households are now immune. Right, because the Amish do their own thing. They all got it. And um, they dealt with it naturally. So... That is going to happen everywhere at some point. The question is, how many people will we kill in the process by denying them the only treatment that does help, 
by destroying their mental health, by destroying their physical health, by masking their humanity? That is the only question. Now, before we uh, call it quits today, I did want to go back to the issue of crime that's you know, going on now. So they're all talking about, you know, there's all these shootings going on. Man, we need to do something about guns. Again, it's like the old adage where when someone points to the moon, the idiot focuses on the finger. So, yeah, we got all these shootings because we have all these criminals out on the streets. Talk about another issue of frogs in boiling water. Where our phony leadership, and that includes most of my colleagues in this business, I was the last man standing on criminal justice deform. Oh, Daniel, don't worry. It's only nonviolent, first-time, low-level criminals. Well, as we all knew, if you're a nonviolent, first-time, low-level criminal, you're not freaking locked up and you never were. By definition, it's only the high-level, violent, repeat offenders. So now, guess what? It's so ubiquitous that they don't fear it. They don't fear the system. It's a joke. It's not just the cops. This guy, Ricardo Hernandez, he was arrested in New York, uh, Queens subway platform. He was pushing an undercover Asian cop. So he thought this guy was like a regular, you know, Asian heritage guy. And really, he was an undercover cop. He shoved him onto a platform, a subway platform. I mean, you got to be crazy to take subways in New York City now. So the guy yelled out, that's why you people are getting beat up. I got nothing to lose, meaning he's not scared of getting punished. I will F you up. This is my house. Guess what? This happened Saturday by Sunday morning. He was released without bail despite having 12 prior arrests. Okay? 12 prior arrests, beat up an Asian, say I'm not scared of the system, I'm going to F up your people, and he's released. That's America. That's BLM's America in a nutshell. The judge claimed that his hands were tied because of the bail law there. So first off, just just want to make a comment on the Asian stuff. It's interesting. The media like jumped on it, and then they jumped out because they realized 100% of the attackers are non-white. So that's just one thing going on there. There was another case um, with a UC cop that was Asian on April 9th last week where he was verbally assaulted. This guy, Yuvian Rodriguez, told him, go back to China before you end up in a graveyard and he threatened to slap the holy piss out of him and stab him in the face. So, folks, let's just say among non-whites, mainly blacks, some corners of Hispanics, this is a big problem, just so you know. Like, this is not, you, you know, typically the media makes something up. They take one story and they make up a narrative that doesn't exist. In this case, it actually does exist among non-whites. Not all of them, but a significant growing portion, all of the BLM types. They hate Asians, and everyone knows that. But folks, this is what's going on with these judges. So there was another case. Um, so either it's the bail law, but, but sometimes even where they could 
hold the person. Then you got the dirtbag judges. There was this guy also, I think, in Queens, Takim Newsom, a gang member, with 20 prior arrests, including shooting at the police, stabbing someone. I mean, I'm talking about hardcore stuff. Of course, half his other convictions are sealed. That's what we do nowadays. The prosec- So he was arrested for shooting someone in the balls, literally. I don't think the person died, but, you know. So that is officially eligible for to, to still be held on bail. The prosecutor argued, obviously, a guy like that should be held without bail. He should just be held. The defense attorney asked for 50000 So this dirtbag judge, what's her name? Um, forgetting what her, what her name was. Denise Johnson in Queens split the difference between 50000 and being held to letting the person out without having to post any bail. And then now, in New York, California, all these states, they're now releasing murderers. They call it geriatric or compassionate release. Anyone who's elderly. But in California, they're starting to release murderers over the age of 50. They got a lot more years on them. This guy, uh, Eddie Allen Harris, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this over the weekend, only one Fox affiliate is reporting on this. Fox 11 in L.A., no other, I don't see any other news article. I Googled it. This should be a big story. 67-year-old murdered a woman in L.A. County in 1982. He was paroled in 2018 under their jailbreak. He was given three years of probation. Several weeks after the probation ended in March, he was accused of stabbing another woman to death. Just remember, California now releases people 17 years younger than this dude who had committed murder. Yet how many governors even talk about this? No, all the Republican governors are talking about jailbreak, just like the Democrat ones. Sucked into this. Because once you get sucked into 15 days to flatten the curve, you get sucked in, there's no limit. Once you get sucked into criminal justice reform, there's no limit. So even though now you have ubiquitous violent crime and violent criminals not getting locked up, all the low-level nonviolent folks... They're nowhere to be seen. In fact, they're still pushing their garbage. Ron DeSantis is the only one pushing to tighten laws. He's signing, as we're speaking, he's signing HB1. That was the anti-BLM, anti-mob bill. Basically, um, does does a lot of uh, different things. Um, it prioritizes group violence. So if you commit violence as a group, it has uh, harsher penalties. Um trying to think what else it does it applies rico to them for organizing these riots um so there's that it also has a really good provision um defending civilians right because this is a big problem where basically civilians get mobbed you know we have all these like car lynchings and they're the ones who get punished i don't know some of you might have seen there's been a lot of videos recently of blm blocking the way and then the cops wind up arresting the guy like who shoves them out of the way or something so that's where i really start losing my respect for these cops when they start doing things like that so 
that was DeSantis's bill. And um, again, he's signing it now. But the question is, where is everyone else? Where is everyone else? I sure as heck can't find it. I can't find where these people are. You tell me. This is really, really bad. I mean really, really bad. Not a single Republican governor, aside for DeSantis, is pushing to get tougher on crime. He makes anyone who uh, participates in this stuff ineligible for, um, for employment with the state government and getting benefits. Again, it's like one out of 50 you could find. And that's why looking forward, when you look at people running from everything from county council to state legislature to governor, if they're using the same traditional tropes and acting like frogs in boiling water as if nothing has happened the last year, you know they're frauds. If they won't even rhetorically speak to this stuff. But folks, this is why I need you to sign up for our teams. Um... We got iconaction.network. I'm going to be working on Alabama today to try to set up a team there. Maybe northern and southern. We're going to have to divide it into two, as we will most of uh, all but the smaller states. But remember, remember the lessons of John Parker, the U.S. captain who headed the Minutemen. Stand your ground. Do not fire unless fired upon. But if they mean to have war... Let it begin here. Folks, till tomorrow, thank you for listening, and have a terrific day.